0: In our 17th year, as Indiana's only weekly community radio show, committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. In trying to explain low vaccination and booster rates compared to other industrialized countries, the New York Times offers the following. The United States has a vaccination problem. Moreover, it is not just about the relatively large share of Americans who have refused to get a shot. The U.S. also trails many other countries in the share of vaccinated people who have received a booster shot. And the vaccinated but unboosted more closely resemble the country as a whole. Millions of Americans have already received two vaccination shots, eagerly in many cases, but have yet to receive a follow-up and the unboosted span racial groups. One answer is that the medical care in the United States is notoriously fragmented, nor equitably service all communities. There is neither a centralized record system as in Taiwan, nor a universal insurance system as in Canada and Scandinavia to remind people to get another shot. Many Americans also do not have a regular contact point for their health care. And as a result, preventative care, like a booster shot, often falls through the cracks. Joining us this evening to continue our conversation on COVID 19 are Penny Caldwell, Health Administrator for the Monroe County Health Department and former 2021 Bloomington Woman of the Year, and Shelly Yoder, Indiana State Senator for District 40, and a former Miss Indiana and a Miss America 1993 contestant. Ladies, I, I'm honored. I feel like I'm in the presence of royalty, you two, and your nine to five. Put on your superwoman capes, but after hours, by God, you're knocking them dead, uh, winning some of the most prestigious awards and honors. And I chose those two uh, just to, to really give you your accolades, not only as professionals, but as ladies who are focused and about the business and taking care of business. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, rather serious conversation, but we're going to dive right in. And the most an uh, important thing I would say, yes, we see decreasing trends, and we're glad about it. But this Omicron variant and its physical and psychological impact um, are having an impact on Monroe County. Let's talk about our home city right now, our home county. What type of trends have you both seen with the Omicron variant in Monroe County? And we'll start with our health department administrator, uh, Ms. Connell.
1: Good evening. Yeah, you know, the last two—we're into our third year of this—has um, been very difficult in in many ways for many people. And um, I don't know that I have just one or two things that I I can say about that. But certainly with Omicron, we've—it's proven to be more transmissible, uh, even than Delta. Um, and although it tends to be milder. Not everybody has mild symptoms. Uh, There are many reasons that we might be seeing that. And just the sheer numbers of cases that we've seen can still mean that people who have vulnerable immune systems, uh, underlying health conditions are still at risk. Our hospital has still uh, been at capacity, you know, and really battling Serving everybody and serving everyone well, and certainly when we talk about shutdowns and we talk about, um, you know, even the discourse around masks—do we wear them? Do we not wear them? Where do I have to wear them? And and I'll be honest, yes, Monroe County is still the only county in the state that has a mask requirement, so it's confusing to people as well. And I realize that that can add to frustration that people have. Uh, people are concerned about their children and some people want their children at home not in school other people want their children in school and not at home Uh, and so there's this vast difference of approaches and feelings uh, but i i don't think any of us has escaped the the challenges uh, the isolation that people can feel from not being in rooms or meetings with people um, you know, and we've talked early on about, uh, you know, isolation and, and even physical distancing, you know, we talk about that social distancing. And I think, you know, sometimes the words that we start out with, we find are not the best words to use, right, that it is about physical distance, and not about not connecting that if we're in isolation, because we're in we're infected and we need to isolate from others so we don't spread infection doesn't mean that we don't connect with people we need we still need to find those connections but i think sometimes um, this these past few years have been very difficult to do that
0: i, I agree i uh, you're you're spot on with the uh, social distancing and it sort of um, conjures up all types of thoughts as far as you know family not being able to reach out and have conversations or or be there for for holidays, or birthdays, or whatever, and there have been horror stories of individuals who've lost loved ones, but could not attend a funeral, or someone who's gravely ill, they can't be by their bedside, but then again, we were dealing with something that we didn't really know, with it being highly transmissible, I mean, the original, the original variant that we were exposed to, I mean, that was, the numbers out in New York were frightening everyone. So here we are
2: yeah. in
0: 2022 and, and it, it appears that the trend is going downward but is that a false sense of comfort but I I want to I want to direct uh, things to uh, Senator Yoder for a response on this.
2: Absolutely and I appreciate so much hearing from hearing from Penny and this opportunity to have this conversation. I, I do think you were asking about sort of local trends. I do see that Monroe County trends ahead of other counties when it comes to vaccination rates. Uh, so uh, I think we do still have work in that area. And I'm proud of the work that our department of health has done thus far in Monroe County, but we certainly have, we have work to do throughout the state uh, to bring those uh, to, to boost our vaccination rates and bring down rates of of COVID, but it has definitely made clear uh, needs that our state have, the needs that our state has when it comes to some health care provider shortages, mental health services that we desperately need, public health investments that I think we opened our eyes and said we have long for far too long ignored, and we need to uh, take a really long, hard look. At those investments and childcare, uh, you know we we've seen what this uh, pandemic has done to the workforce across Indiana, but it also has just been so hard for parents uh, with childcare needs and um, the the childcare deserts that exist throughout Indiana. So those are some 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 policy areas that I have tried to focus on, and I hope that at the legislature we can address in this session and definitely uh, next session when we have another opportunity to address these needs when we look at the budget.
0: Thank you for that, and I agree. It's the first round that we went through where everyone was sequestering and, and um, people were afraid to come out to get the mail. Again, ignorance was just you know just terrifying everybody but um but then the the more realistic issues more practical issues such as child care people still need to make an income but that yet their children were at home virtually learning those that had the technology to virtually learn and there was a whole right. dynamic with that um uh, mm-hmm. with if you may you may have had like in my case i have two daughters that were home uh for practically the whole year um And the frustrating thing was watching them not have the social interaction with friends at their at their impressionable ages, Um, second grade and sixth grade. Hmm. Now, (laughs) you know, I can only entertain them so long, (laughs) but after a while, they're going to need some meaningful discourse. So any any thoughts along those lines? Well, I'll just say I do I
2: when I'm not serving in the legislature, I I am a mom and I also teach and we are seeing increased rates of mental health, uh, diagnoses, whether that's anxiety, depression, uh, increased rates of substance use disorder. So I definitely think it's, it's taking a toll and uh, we'll, we'll need to continue to address this. I, I hope that this has brought some much needed awareness and education and and courage to talk about these issues out in the open instead of feeling ashamed, embarrassed, and perpetuating some dangerous myths about uh, mental health and right. seeking help for mental health. So that's kind of where I am. I'd love to hear Penny's thoughts. Sure. Yeah, I. You're absolutely right. It has
1: it definitely shined a light. You know, is is horrible as these past few years have been, there have been some positives, if you will, in terms of making us more aware of things, right? Or, uh, you know, it isn't that we didn't know that there weren't enough uh, mental health providers, right? Or that people didn't talk about it, but now we're talking about it more. And, And so I try to sometimes look for the, what's the silver lining in all of this, right? And And try to find those things. We know, I mean, overdoses have occurred more, and that may be in part because people are using drugs as coping mechanism. On the other hand, it could be because they're using drugs alone and no one is there to help them, uh, to revive them, to call 911, all of those those things. And I I can even remember in early 2020 talking to somebody who was going to work, uh, but had talked about they live alone and just work. And then you're separated at work. And this was a position that they were an essential worker. They had to be there. But even then you were separating yourselves at work. Um, and then you went home and you were by yourself. And he said, it, you know, that is just taking a toll on me. And it, it does remind us that we need all of those interactions and that we do need more providers and we need more mental health providers. And we do need to be talking about um, all of these, these very, very important health issues because we don't have, I'm gonna say the infrastructure to provide the, the array of health
2: services that are needed. And in many cases, we just don't have the providers. Can I just put a little plug in for on this, on this point? So during uh, the early days of COVID, uh, you know, we for finally were able to move quickly to telehealth and this was really beneficial for so many people as Penny was saying, who needed uh, some mental health support and we have a shortage in the, in, in that health uh, provider area. So being able to move to a telehealth, telehealth options was a really important way of addressing the need, but also reciprocity. And what I mean by that is that Indiana can recognize licensures from other states. And in one area uh, in this compact is in psychologists. And we have out of the Senate successfully passed an interstate agreement, compact agreement, when it comes to recognizing uh, psychologists, but it does not get out of the house. And so if there are people listening, and if you want to be able to have more access uh, in the issue of being able to have you know, people who practice in Illinois be able to practice in Indiana, or whatever the whoever is involved in that interstate compact agreement, let the House members know that you support this, that you want this. This is good for Indiana. Uh, you know, we we get so far as to getting that bill over to the House, and then it just dies. But this year, we're hoping that it's going to make it through the House, and we'll make this change permanent for Indiana. But uh, there's just an advocacy piece that I hope people will check it out and call their representative or call the uh, call the chair of the House committee and say, please hear this bill. Please support this bill. It's important for the mental health and well-being of Hoosiers.
0: Is, is this bill uh, coupled with another set of policies or is this a standalone? It's so a standalone. I'm trying to understand the rationale. Here's something that's going to definitely help. the
2: So <laughs> uh, apparently there is some pushback in the house of people who don't agree on the interstate compact mm-hmm. idea. And it's a philosophical idea. And it, it isn't shared by all house members, but it's, um, it's been a, it's been a value, let's say of somebody who has a lot of power in the house. And as has has kind of killed that bill when it gets there. But hopefully this year, we will be able to see that come uh, to fruition. So that's a standalone bill. Uh, I should know, let me see, let me look it up to see the actual Senate bill number and people okay. can begin to make some noise over on the House side, because it's passed through the Senate, now it's in the House. And it would be great to to see that pass through the House.
0: For, for those who just joined us, uh, we're having a conversation right now. With uh, Penny Caudill, Health Administrator for the Monroe County Health Department, and Shelly Yoder, Indiana State Senator for District 40. Um, we're having a discussion, a continuing discussion on COVID 19 and, and its impacts nationally and, of course, locally. Uh, speaking of policies, if we could stay on this for just a second, what additional policies? You mentioned the need for some policies, some good policy on childcare. And, of course, we just are talking about uh, healthcare and psychiatric or psychological services. What other policies have you all been working on to try to make life easier for the Hoosiers?
2: Well, definitely. So that, Clarence, that Senate bill is 365. Uh, it's a psychology inner um, jurisdictional compact. Uh, so Senate Bill 365. I, I would say um, I've been working on childcare. Uh, working on some housing accessibility and affordability issues, working on um, strengthening telehealth as well as uh, some reciprocity to address some healthcare provider shortages that we have. Uh, those are just a few of the areas that I've been you know, focused on over the last few weeks uh, to hopefully see some positive movement and change for Indiana and. I think there are definitely local things, and um, Penny can speak to that a little bit uh, better than what I Well, b-
0: Before we turn to Penny, I will say that I did read that there is a website that will be launched uh, for 500 million COVID-19 testing kits. Um, I know that there was talk about making this available, and I know in some Kroger's, some CVS's, and other uh, pharmacies in the area that people can go in there now and get, I believe three per individual and uh now are these single use masks or well if you ask a typical person yes they use their mask over and over again okay let's all come become transparent but are these intended to be single use or are to be used with uh guidance of of whatever information is written on the box so we'll turn to Penny on that one. Sure uh there
1: my understanding is in 95s so that's part of the federal program. So the masks that are going out to uh, pharmacies that are part of their federal program. And, um, you know, if they're not at your local pharmacy now, they may be, I think, different, you know, Kroger, CVS, different Walmarts or whatever, have different systems that they're using for how they're dispensing those. Um, the platform is that it's three per person. Uh, Certainly, depending on how they're being distributed, that that may not be exactly how it is. Um, They should be in 95s. They could be reused, but not, you know, at some point they need to be disposed of. So, you know, if they're soiled, uh, if they get wet, uh, then they're going to be less effective. Um, so you know when they're soiled you need a new one and but I would say look that there are very good directions on the CDC's website that talks about different masks we've shared things on our social media page so I'll say follow us on Facebook we've got some good uh, flyers in English and Spanish on how to to get those free uh, COVID tests there's for per household, how to you know where you can go to get those masks uh, because they're not coming to the local health departments. And so we weren't able to say, well, here's how we can get them to you. Um, the best that we could really do was come up with some nice flyers to share. And you know, I have a hard time saying flyers anymore because you know we don't print a lot of things and, and post them up, but we've shared those um and they're on social media again in English and Spanish on how you can get okay. those.
0: Very good. Um, I, I also read that the nose may not be the best place to test for COVID, and I'm thinking when I got tested, and actually they weren't testing my nose; they were testing the back of my brain. Uh, <laughs> now I'm learning that, that may not be the best place. I'm like yay, because <laughs> uh, but then the alternative might be down my throat. I don't know, but if. As the health professional, if you can help me out there,
1: yeah. And uh, you know, I I'm going to plead a little bit. I don't feel like, in terms of each individual test and which one is the very best, that I'm not a medical person. So uh, I'll just plead a little bit of uh, grace there. But we what what it is is that we're learning, right? We right. are learning what works best and what works best for different variants. That you know. S- As we move through these, some may be more, um, there may, we may be able to get the specimen that we need in different locations. So if it's more in your throat, we may be able to get it there. If it's in your nasal cavity, certainly, you know, we talk about kind of cleaning the brain, right? With those, those deep tests, but not all of them are that, right? So the nasal air, so it's just low in the nasal cavity. Um, so there are a variety of tests, but certainly, um, e- even with uh, Omicron, our tests really are still very good. Especially if you are symptomatic. If you are symptomatic and you take a rapid test, then you know wait a couple days, a day or two, take another test, or schedule a PCR test. Because if you're if you are symptomatic and you know you may just not have enough. You may not be have enough viral load to test positive yet. So um, keep that in mind. Um, If you're asymptomatic and you test negative, then we're just going to go with that. But again, guidance is changing. If you've been exposed, you're close contact. Then if you are up to date on your vaccines, you can don your mask, put a good well-fitting mask on when you are around other people indoors or out um, and after five days, if you can get a test, get one.
0: You know, uh, that, that, that spins off so many questions. And I, and I know that none of us have the answer, but I cringe when I see, uh, when I was watching the NFL uh, playoffs. And, you know, who's wearing a mask? I mean, the players are a few. <laughs> the players on the sidelines are. And then I'm looking at the crowd shots. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And then now the Super Bowl is coming up and I'm wondering the same thing. For, for public arenas, um, wow, cheering, um, you know, the whole bit, you know, it's, I know we're in sort of new territory, and, and, and I think it goes to this notion that people so much want to get beyond COVID and get back to normalcy, um, and, and I'm cautious enough to know that there's a danger there, but then again, I think some governors are beginning to yield because I'm reading more and more of governors not all not all of one particular party, but governors around the country are beginning to make announcements that they will soon uh, rescind mask mandates. Um, uh, Senator Deodor, uh, you have the power to change this today. <laughs> And I'm not no no pressure. I'm not putting you on the spot. I just I just wanted to to say that it's important the things you all do. But what are your thoughts on that? Where you're trying to corral public behavior, the last thing you want to do is start implementing legislation to do that. But how do you how do you handle that? How what do you how do you go about appealing to people's uh, better senses, if you will?
2: No, I think that's a really good question. I it's It's alarming that something like a pandemic can become so politicized because what I would like to see is the usage of the mask really needs to depend on where you're going to be. What are the current numbers that are occurring in that community? What are your underlying conditions? What is your vaccination status? I mean, there there are going to have to be additional questions that every single person is going to have to begin to ask and take responsibility for, uh, with themselves and with their families. And when it comes to public health, however, when you have a highly contagious virus like we have in this current variant, then or just with the pan with, with COVID, uh, it begins to be a little bit more than just about the individual and you begin to see that sort of social network and that public health network of how we are all connected. You know, we talked about it earlier when it comes to feeling adjusted and connected and a part of a community and how how much COVID has impacted that and has really uh, created an awareness about how much we need that. But it's also brought to the surface how our health is connected to each other and how we can Unintentionally, inadvertently, really um, cause damage without meaning to. So back to the how important it is to keep get vaccinated, stay up on your boosters uh, when you can, make sure that you know where you are in that cycle and what what you need, what your family needs, and that is one way that we're going to be able to have some sense of return to normalcy. Uh, it may look different, but I think if we're willing to just ask some questions about, well, where is this going to be? How many people? What are the rates? I think this could really help us uh, feel a little bit m- greater confidence about where we are with numbers and, my goodness, helping relieve of some of our healthcare providers and what they're feeling across this nation in Indiana, hospital to hospital the amount of stress that our healthcare providers are under it, you know, if you can't do it for your neighbor, think about, you know, what we're doing to an entire industry and how people are leaving the field because they've just come to a, you know, they've, they've come to a brink, you know, they just can't take any more.
0: And we, and we see story after story on the evening news and, um, How Well, we we recall back in uh, 2020 how uh, first-line responders were stressed to unbelievable levels, literally crying because they had to go back in after dealing with something traumatic moments ago and there's no one else to replace them. So it's eased up a bit. It's not, as you say, back to normal. And even maybe on a level that the common man and woman can understand – Sometimes if you go to a fast food place and you wonder why the line is so long, it's because they may not have enough healthy workers to process that ship. Um, You see managers doing double duty. um, And then you have to hope that those that are working there have tested and not for fear of losing a job are, are, are going into work. so I'm not going to name restaurant chains. I'm not going to do any of that. And even in non-chain places, uh, establishments uh, where food is served, it's been stress. I saw something interesting the other day. I saw sort of a, a bubble outside the restaurant where for a little bit more on your tab, you could sit in comfort in this bubble and literally get the bubble effect that a lot of the pro athletes are getting in a sense, you know, you're, you're isolated you're apart, but you know, this thing is real. This is real. And we're trying to think beyond it as, as a nation. And that's one of the reasons that we are lagging and so many, of the different uh, categories that we are. Um, recently, uh, you know, and I think I mentioned that there's a governor, and I'll just say the New Jersey governor has just announced, I believe, today, that they're set to remove mask mandates on March 3rd. And really, out, well, the force and pressure of interests, not perhaps the whole state, but just special interests on this particular governor to do that. And I think of places like Florida, and I think of other places where some governors are just blatantly opposed to anything that's going to preserve the health and well-being of its citizenry. And um, I'm saying, are we going? is history going to be kind to us in just two or three years? And so, any thoughts on that at all? Just, you know, the job of governing right now has to be hard. So, so what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I you know, not from the governing standpoint, but yeah, these decisions are very difficult. And when we talk about public health, it isn't, you know, you're looking at the individual, but it's not the individual behavior. It's, we are looking at the whole community. So what can we do to protect everybody? And, and I feel like we often are hearing people talk about what, they want right that I don't want to put on my mask or I don't my child doesn't want to put on their mask and and I will just say that I've seen more children wear their mask for longer periods of time better than many adults so (laughs) kudos to those kids that are wearing those masks I've seen kids outside playing on playgrounds with their mask on it you know they're they're doing great but that we have to think about not just ourselves, but our family and our loved ones and our coworkers. Just like you were talking about, not just retail food retail businesses, and especially this last surge where people are just struggling to keep operations open um, because you know they've got this many people out, and um, they come back and somebody else is out, and they're not necessarily not always getting infected on the job it is still those close contacts we're still seeing mostly it is um though us being close with people that's doing that um but yeah and i know none of us want i i don't think anybody wants to be wearing a mask all the time right and so for people that think that the Board of Health or the health officer just wants us all to be wearing masks all the time, that's not the case. But it is, it is a public health measure. It is something we can do to um, really intervene and reduce the transmission rate. And those are the things from a public health standpoint that we have to do. So just, you know, like you were talking about vaccines, that is our key to this. Um, And, you know, we're in this place, as you said, we're early on people who really wanted vaccinations. They were, they were there waiting the moment that they, they were available. They were there and, you know, and then it wanes. And I think back, I started in this position and, And then H1N1 hit. So that was my frame of reference for a long, up until this came, right? And I saw that then too, that when vaccine was first coming, everybody seemed to want it uh, until it was here. And then then we had plenty and we couldn't get people, uh, you know, necessarily to take it. And so I don't know how we dispel all those myths, how we answer everybody's questions, but we certainly want to. Um, I know that some people have fear about vaccines, um, mistrust, um, all those different issues. But I would just encourage people to seek out good information from trusted sources. Um, You don't have to trust me. There are other people out there that are much more knowledgeable than I am, and you can look at the science. Um, Make sure you're looking at good, credible sources and get your questions answered.
0: You know, I'll, I'll be the first to say we thank you for the guidance you provide. Uh, it is so much appreciated uh, because sometimes it's hard to speak some truth to individuals. They may not want to hear it, but you speak it because you're, you're duty-bound. Um, and so we do thank you for what you're doing. It's not, at times, a, a popular position to be in, <laughs> um, but sometimes you have to do what needs to be done. Uh Senator Yoder, as a teacher, this is an interesting signal that I that I read today that in Chicago, Boston, New York City, and other places, students are walking out over in-person learning conditions. Um, not to you know, we're not setting legislation tonight, but I'm just curious as a teacher, your thoughts on that. If um, what do you think is going through the mind of these students?
2: Well they're probably thinking about whether or not they feel safe in the classroom. And that's a legitimate question. Uh, We've spent a lot of time talking about masks um, and keeping people safe. You know, our students are worried about their safety, whether it's COVID um, gun violence in schools, you know, the, the, the stressors on young people today, climate change, the stressors are so great. And at some point, you know, I think what they're experiencing is just they want to make sure that uh, people are listening and, and watching. So they're walking out. I, I, I also think teachers and students, parents, you know, the job that our school boards have had to take on. And sadly, how across this country, even in our own state, our school board meetings and the the vitriol that has been pointed to our school board members is it's it's uncalled for uh that we can't remain civil and have these discussions um be be mindful that it's not just you just as what penny was saying it's not just you and your children i mean this is a public health concern the you know the 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 way that we are all connected and need to be thinking about other people, uh, whether it's the custodial work at a school or the bus drivers or our teachers or administration and the students, Uh, we need to make sure that we're thinking about the entire community of a school and the health and well-being of all. So maybe those students, I don't know the particulars there, but clearly they're feeling that they're not safe, and it sounds like they're uh, doing some of their own activism and walking out. I, but I'll have to see what those details are.
0: Well, I, I will say that that's the point I made about the unsung heroes that are there in the school right? the custodial staff, uh, the food service individuals, um, let alone the teachers. I mean, everyone's in lockstep to provide the most meaningful experience for students bus drivers have to get them there and we don't know what they're being subjected to. And if just say, say, for instance, they're not there one day because they're ill, what's going to happen? And so, you know, we, 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 need to be thinking this through. Uh, I see it's time for another ID break. So if you just tuned in to bring it on, we're having a delightful conversation, very informative conversation, and at times a very um, sad uh, sort of um conversation on the state of affairs of so where we are as a nation and handling, mitigating, dealing with COVID. I am speaking with Penny Caldell, who's the health administrator for the Monroe County Health Department, and Shelley Yoder, who's Indiana State Senator, who is an Indiana State Senator for District 40. And we're talking about this thing called, called COVID. Did I hear correctly, um, Ms. Caldell, that the transmission rates are going down at MCCSC? and if so will these advances that are being made uh, currently uh, sort of translate into a return to a normal state of affairs
1: well in terms of each individual school and certainly you know we've got multiple schools in the the county and i w- was trying to look uh, right before we got on and i got sidetracked so i couldn't look at exact numbers schools report cases in their buildings Um, And the schools, MCC and RBB, all of the schools have done a fantastic job. And, you know, you talk about those unsung heroes, the amount of time they've spent doing contact tracing, um, making sure that people knew what they needed to do, answering questions. Um, We've had some staff working with them a little bit and just, you know, for their report back in terms of the time and, and the the answering of questions. So we have been seeing just overall um, a, a kind of a downward trend. Um, I, I'm not sure that I really am comfortable calling it a true trend yet, but the numbers have been coming down a little bit. They're still high. So, you know, I, I've Told people to remain cautious, don't get too excited yet. But we were seeing some decline. So things have, I think, been improving a little bit in the schools um, as they have been, you know, across the state really has started to see some lower numbers. Now, to be perfectly honest, um, for instance, we're going to probably, we're still going to be red this week. Our numbers are going to drop this week. But remember la- the end of last week? We had a snowstorm and everything closed and that meant testing sites closed. And so we are not going to see, you know, numbers um, and tests that were done because of that. And so it's something that we just have to, it's going to be a blip, I think, and then we'll, we'll kind of recover and see where that takes us. So I'd be very cautious. Um, We're not going to change colors this week. Uh, we 're not going to see that kind of a drop. We still had positive cases. Um, but you have to look out when you are only testing people who are expected to be positive like i 'm asympt- i 'm symptomatic i've been exposed you 're going to have a higher percentage of positivity because you 're testing people who are likely sick, and ideally, you want to test a large cross section of your community so that you get a better picture. Of how much virus is really circulating, so we'll have to rebound after this week, and uh, I'm not quite sure exactly what the numbers will look like when we do when we see them this week. But we will see a drop in cases, just because you know the gravity site had to close. The uh, we have a testing site that was on campus that had to close. Uh, you know, pharmacies, different places closed. Um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway closed. The state has these mobile sites all across the state, um, all of which had to close. Some were reopened on Saturday. Some were not able to do that. Um, so that's going to change our numbers a little bit. So be cautious of that, understand that, but hopefully we'll continue to see a downward trend.
0: You know, if we end us on the recent blizzard, uh, the blizzard of 22, I guess if we can name it that now, um, some of my co-workers still couldn't get out of the driveway, so I guess it's the lingering effects of the blizzard of 22. If we could mobilize around COVID as we mobilize with the early warning of this blizzard that was coming, uh, salt trucks had extra loads of salt to deliver. Places were closing two days in advance of the first snowflake. Um, and when the snow came, we had, you know, the warnings go up, stay at home, people complied. And if we could mobilize around what the science is saying, you know, some people don't trust science, I get it, but, uh, believe it or not, science has kept a lot of people alive over the last 18 months. So if we could mobilize behind, uh, just together, working together, just, just, just hold your breath and just do it. It may go against the grain, but let's do it. And and let's just see those numbers plummet. That's my hope. Now, you you mentioned cross-section a little earlier. And and I have to touch on this because in some communities, uh, namely Black and Hispanic, we do see rising numbers. And when people were sequestering and, and people were spending lengthy times in ICU, there was an inordinate amount of Black individuals and Hispanic individuals. Some have said, well, because they're frontline workers as uh, uh, hotel staff, restaurant workers, on and on. Well, I, I I understand that to a point. but then again, we talked about the inordinate nature of our healthcare system in America. And uh, Senator Yoder, you're working hard to change that dynamic so that all can benefit from healthcare. What could and should we be doing to reverse some of those trends? Because we have... We have some, we had some hesitancy in the Black community because of, of the, the history of, of experimentation that was performed. Um, we had some reservations from the Hispanic community. Uh, I mean, extra alerts went out saying we are not judging individuals on their status of some citizenship, but we just want you to get this vaccination. How do we address all that? And we could get the healthcare perspective. We can get the legislative perspective.
2: Well, I'll just say I think what you're really touching on is the issue of trust, and rightfully so, uh, when it comes to systemic racism and healthcare. When it comes to betraying the trust of um, of others, uh, whether those in, in the Black community, in the Brown community. Those concerns you have, you know, are are real concerns, and we need to do a much better job of addressing uh, and ha- and offer cultural awareness training. Uh, we need to do a better job of communication, of education, and that's what I hope is some more positives that uh, we can continue to do a better job. Uh, at least in Indiana, but really across this country, of acknowledging where those uh, where real injustices are occurring, have occurred, and will continue to occur unless we address this issue of um, equity, issue of justice, um, and begin to have trust in each other again.
0: We've seen uh, national organizations come to partner with science and healthcare to try to get the word out. Uh, We've seen churches, we've seen Mm -hmm. uh, mosques, we've seen um, national fraternal and sorority institutions come together to get the word out. We've seen churches used as vaccination sites. Mm -hmm. Um, We have seen, even across some pulpits, messages, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um,
0: warning people to be safe and to this through very clearly and intentionally because this is serious. Uh, we've all probably have lost someone due to COVID. And uh, you're right. And and Ms. Caldwell, I'd like to, to get your observations on that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, it's a challenge because every time, everything that we look at, every time when we set up our initial uh, vaccine clinics, you know, how, where can we put it? Um, and they're not easy. There's a lot of details that go into, you know, opening them up and we've had medical reserve corps volunteers to help us, or we wouldn't have been able to do what we did. Um, but we've tried to, you know, make sure that we were tapping into and connecting with, uh, community leaders. And when I say leaders, I mean, um, Maybe your traditional leaders, but you think about that faith community or the leader of your neighborhood, right? Leaders come in all, you know, shapes, sizes, you know, um, areas. They're not all the, the business people or, you know, the, it, you know, the department head or, or whatever. So, but trying to get input, like what are the concerns and get those messages out. We've had a good advisory group to help us with some messaging so that when we were doing special clinics um, that we have the right messages trying to go out. I hope that we can take those relationships that we've been able to build and improve on and that we can keep them and keep using them to look at other programs. So we're done with COVID, there's still plenty of public health issues for us to be dealing with and we deal with them every day. How can we um, be more accessible to people? Are there things that we can take uh, to the community in a different way? Um, because I think that if, if we can build that rapport, then I think the next time, hopefully there'll be more trust.
0: You know, you mentioned the uh, leaders, but there are also a lot of influencers out there, a lot of influencers on social media. Yep. Uh, there are people with hundreds to maybe a couple thousand followers that if they send out the right video, I mean, we're sending out, I'm seeing, I don't, I typically don't get on social media a lot, but I'm seeing all types of content out there that I'm thinking, seriously, all day long, this is the best you have to do, whatever. But then there's some really helpful information that can be distributed broadly on um, on social media and those influencers um, and people know who the influencers are so maybe they can even assist with the aim of targeting and getting the word out um, and it's amazing how news can travel faster on social media than on than on some of the major networks um, we're sort of beginning to land this this plane but there are a couple topics that i, I want to talk on um, while mandates have helped the tide of opposition is growing and what do you foresee if we nationally choose to look beyond COVID? We've been touching on that all night, but um, with so much information being spread, the job of calming and educating a skeptical public falls on whose shoulders?
1: Well, I think it falls on everyone's shoulders. I think that as a health department and a public health agency, we have to continue to provide factual information, up-to-date information. And we all have to understand that health information is not stagnant, that we're always learning. We always are changing. Um, One example that I can use is, you know, lead. There was a time when lead was considered a great thing. We put it in our, you know, we put it in our, our gas and our paint and we, we, and then we've, Whoa, there's problem with that. Right. And so we learn and we evolve. And I, so we have to keep that in mind and we all have to be that influencer as you talked about to our group, whatever that group is, whether it's our neighborhood or family. Um, and sometimes our family is the hardest group to talk with. Right. I, you know, sometimes we um, say things to our family that we might not say to somebody else. Um, you know, we just kind of let it go. So, you know, being again, mindful, respectful, having the, the dialogue and the questions, answering questions, um, asking somebody why with, with the real intent of wanting to know why. Right. Um, and not just wanting to change your mind. Right. But wanting to understand And so I think all of us, the health department can't, you know, fix this. The Senate can't fix all this, but we can all listen and be part of the dialogue.
0: So at our next great gathering as family members, COVID joins the ranks of politics, sex, and religion.
2: I think it already has. has. (laughs) Well, I think Um, Penny just pretty much beautifully summed it up. And uh, I, I have appreciated so much her leadership, you know, through these last couple, you know, two years. Um, it, you know, my appreciation for her leadership goes so far beyond that. But it's really, you know, been put to a great test over the last two years. So thank you so much, Penny.
0: Well, I think uh, uh, to, that, uh, to that point, uh, the fact that she was Bloomington's Woman of the Year in 2021 uh, is a testament to that very, very fact. So um, two, two quick questions with, with time sort of escaping on the national level. And I dare not end this conversation now talking about what's going on on the
1: national level.
0: It's my feeling, I don't know if it's your feeling, that the White House and federal agencies, such as the CDC, the NIH, the DHHS, and FDA, and others in this alphabet soup, they're not on the same page. And that's aggravating people. So um, what do we do? Do we get into a letter-writing campaign? Do we call our representatives? Um, What do we do? And I'll start with uh, Senator Yoder.
2: I I would need to know specifics, honestly, um, Mm -hmm. to know where have there been these inconsistencies. and, And I guess where I would hope and try to be as a, as a human being is, you know, Penny actually spoke to this. She said, you know, science and science, we have to live our way into it until we know more Then we say, okay, that now we know, but if we think about this, there was just so, there was nothing. We did not know about this virus. We had to figure it out. And I would just ask people, um, you know, I, it sounds so simple, but, you know, instead of pointing outward to say, what can I do? How can I educate myself from, you know, trustworthy sources, from credible sources, from, you know, I, I would say scientific sources and look at the information, but, you know, Clarence, I'm not um, I know that maybe, you know, we at some point, you know, was it 10 days or five days in quarantining? I have found people, for the most part, uh, really working hard to get the information right, the best information that they have. And, wow. uh, you know, there, and um, whether or not, I, I really just can't speak to you know what's going on with all of these different agencies, because um, I, I see I see people who are working in the public sphere working tirelessly to try to take you know to protect people, uh, you know get the economy back up and running, doing so in the best way that uh, with the information that we have, trying to protect students at school. I mean there are just so many different. Variables, so that's
0: kind of where I am with that okay. well well, thank you for that but uh i my my gentle pushback would be that when we hear um uh, officials say one uh, one regimen to use another one says another, and it's obvious that well whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait, wait, what are you saying, and then we have to get clarity from another source over what these two are saying. It just seems to me that it would be great before public pronouncements are made, that they all get in the same room or get on the hotline or, or the phone to say, OK, at, at 12 noon, we're going to say the following. Um, this agency, is there an objection? And they may say, well, well, what are you basing that on? And then they can get into that scientific conversation, because the more that happens and we talk about trust, it can erode trust, and they're finding that out. And I know it's new, and I know we're going to get on the same page, regardless of which administration's in office. Um, mm-hmm. I trust this administration more than others that have been in office. And I'll, I'll go on record, we'll have another show about that too, and I'll talk about why. But I just feel that if we can all get on the same page, we're going to be better for it. Um, and of course, uh, uh, Penny, with the remaining time, one thing I want to ask you, because I want to end on a positive note. With the recent Pfizer news of a pending vaccination shot for children five years of age and under, what do you think the possible outcomes of all this will be?
1: Well, Certainly the more people who are eligible for for vaccine and the more people we can get vaccinated, the better off we are going to be. And we all need to stay up to date on our vaccines uh, and all of our vaccines, not just COVID, you know, We've seen vaccination rates for childhood immunizations, for example, drop because we were in lockdown and then people were fearful for getting in or doctor's offices have, you know, seen fewer people, those kinds of things. So staying up to date on your vaccines, the more people that are eligible, the more people we can get vaccinated, the better off, I believe that we will be, you know, vaccines have changed our world um and they you know they're not necessarily going to eliminate all illnesses right, right but right. they will make a difference right
0: and if we have more time which we do not i would talk about well before they start school they're required to have certain vaccines before they can set foot in kindergarten let's go back to that mentality for a minute it was obviously wise counsel then so i can't be wise counsel now ladies we have exceeded our time but i want to thank you both. Um, and these aren't, um, these aren't simple, easy conversations to have because we don't want to speak in generalities, but then again, we don't want to point fingers, but um, I thank you for dealing with us where we are here now. And I appreciate that as always. But we want to thank our guests, Penny Caldhill, uh, Health Administrator for the Monroe County Health Department and Shelley Yoder, Indiana State Senator for District 40 for joining us for our continuing discussion on COVID-19 and its impacts nationally and locally. And as Ms. Caldwell mentioned, there is on the Facebook of the Monroe County Health Department more guidance available and resource information available. So avail yourself of that and go to the Facebook page for the Monroe County Health Department. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address is bring it On at wfhb.org, And our show's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone, and our assistant producer is William Hosea. Our consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine, and our original theme music was created by Jamil Leffian with additional background tracks by David Baker. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB.